Live by faith. May your faith truly be a dependence lived on your God. May our worship be lit up as we celebrate the God who is not keeping himself secret, but he's making himself clear. Well, welcome again, Summit Point. Thrilled to be able to, and humbled to be able to, to bring the word here today. If you've, if you've been here the past few weeks, you know that we're, we are in a summer series called Live by Faith. It was actually Pastor Steve that started us out. He was in Romans chapter 1, and there's a verse that says, The righteous shall live by faith. For the past couple of weeks with Pastor Tim and then with Pastor Mark last week, we've been um, examining the life of, of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And we've been looking at Abraham's faith and also Sarah's faith, and there are some, some clear moments right, where uh, they are living by faith, and they are trusting in God and trusting in God alone and not in their, their own ability to handle their situations. And it's the moments to, that to emulate and then there are clear moments in their life where they are they're trying to handle their situations themselves. They're trusting in their, their own way instead of in God's plan as a, as a warning to us to, to identify those times when we're trusting in ourselves and not in, in the Lord. But today, we're going to finish up with our little snapshot of the, the faith journey of Abraham and also his son Isaac. Next week, we're going to, to move on to another individual, but today we, we have arguably the greatest test that God has for the faith of Abraham. And it's with this mindset, knowing that we're going to be in a passage about the, the greatest test, perhaps, of Abraham's faith, that we get to our first of two points here today. The first point is this, worship your God in humble obedience, knowing he will remain true. Worship your God in humble obedience, knowing he will remain true. We're in Genesis chapter 22. Let's start here in verse 1. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Let's just stop there for for a moment. All right? He says, After these things. So this, is, this would be a great time to review a little bit of where we've been these past couple weeks about these things. And we're not able to go into all of the details of what these things are. But we know that from Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis 15 that God has made a special promise to this man, Abraham. We can call it a covenant. That God has made a covenant to Abraham. And he's promised to make him and his descendants into a great nation. He's also given them a piece of, of land where it's going to be known as the promised land. And then also through Abraham's descendant, there's going to come one that is going to bless not just Abraham's descendants, but is going to bless all of the nations. A blessing for the, all, the, all the nations, for all people of all time. And we know him as Jesus Christ. And as we're when walking through these past couple weeks with Abraham. Uh, Pastor Tim, he, he used a line a few times a couple weeks ago. He said, Abraham, in his faith and his trusting of God, as he received this special calling and promise and soon-to-be covenant to himself, he was mostly obedient to this. He, was, he had times where he was mostly trusting in God and in God alone, but then he had some clear moments where he wasn't. We talked about a few of those things. He was supposed to leave all of his extended family and go to the land that God was going to show him, and he, he brought his nephew Lot. That's going to blow up in the book of Genesis. They find them, themselves down in Egypt, and um, Abraham, 
tells a, a half-truth, we all call that a lie, right, about his wife Sarah, and, and he says to the Pharaoh of Egypt, this, this is just my sister. And so Pharaoh takes Sarah to be right, his wife, right, everyone say that's a bad plan. And then last week, Pastor Mark, we talked about this, this, uh, um, this promise that even in their old age, Abraham and Sarah, they were going to give birth to a son, and we see Abraham and Sarah, they get a little bit impatient with that as they've been waiting for years and years and years after this promise. And they get out in front ahead of God's plan. And Abraham actually takes um, and, and has a son with Sarah's servant, Hagar. His name is Ishmael. But then we, we see that they continue to, to trust in the Lord. And that God does bless them with the son, Isaiah. And so there, there are clear moments where, where uh, God has been stretching, challenging the faith of Abraham. And you know what, we could we read this, this story in his faith journey, and we can, we can perhaps think, wow, I mean, God has just brought so much into Abraham's life. Is, is God and his plan for us, is it exhausting? Is it just something to just wear us down? We could maybe think that way. But as, as, as I read the book of, of Genesis, as we're going through Abraham, you know what really stands out to me is that we serve and we worship a jealous God. And it is something to be celebrated because he is not content with just having most of us, not just having half of us, or, or not to content with just having the times where it's convenient for us to put our trust in him. But he's a jealous God and he wants all of us. He wants all of our faith. He wants to have all of us. And so God in his compassion and his wisdom and his sovereignty and in his faithfulness says, Abraham, I've, I've got another test for you. I've got another test for you because you, you still haven't quite 100% figured this out. You've given most of your obedience to me, but I don't just want most of you. No, I'm a jealous God. I want, I want all of you, Abraham. So he says that he's going to test Abraham. So he calls out to Abraham. He says, Abraham. And immediately Abraham responds and he says, I'm right here. Here I am. And then we get to verse 2 and here's the test. In verse 2 it says, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which... I shall tell you. Perhaps the greatest test of Abraham's faith. God says, Abraham, take your son. And then he gives two descriptions of his son. He first says, this is your only son. Well, how does that make sense? Because Ishmael was also his son. And what he's, what he's talking about there is that this promise, this covenant, right? What's going to be a, eventually a blessing for all the nations. It's only going to come through one son, one and only son. There is no second option. It is Isaac, and it is Isaac alone. We know this from Genesis chapter 17, verse 21, where God says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. There is only one son that this promise is going to continue. It's going to be through Isaac. It is his one son of promise. Then he also says that it is the son that that he loves, that he loves dearly. And 
We could see that, right? I mean, this is a child that, that Abraham and his wife Sarah have been praying about for years and been hoping for for decades. And now they've received this, this awesome blessing from the Lord. And this, this child, Isaac, has been such a joy to their family and to their marriage. And just watching him grow up, teaching him about Jesus Christ, watching him grow up to be as, as a young man. So beloved, such a source of joy. And God says, I want you to take that one and only son and that son that you love so much and I gave him life to you and now I'm going to ask you to give me back his life. And I'm going to call you to, to go to the land of Moriah and I have a very specific spot, a very specific mountain that I want you to give me back his life. What's going on here? What a very unusual request. What a strange request. What's God's point here? To be honest, we don't have a lot of explanation here so far. We just know that this is what he's supposed to do. Here's the, here's the test. But we, we, we know that, that God is not for child sacrifice. We know that the, the scripture is going to say that, that child sacrifice is going to be detestable to God. God obviously is also not for murder. So how is Abraham just wrestling with this, this test? He doesn't have a lot of explanation, but with, when he lacks in an explanation, the scene continues to move on. We're in verse 3. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And right away, we see Abraham's heart of trust his heart of faith, because he does not sit on this request, even though he lacks a lot of details and an explanation. It says he, meet, he, he gets up early. He doesn't sit on this for a couple of days. He doesn't go to his wife, Sarah, and say, hey, I got this request from God. What do you think? And is there another way? Can we, can we figure out some other option? How do we get our, ourselves out of this? He doesn't question it. He gets up early in the morning and starts to, to take all the, the supplies for this. And he takes his son Isaac. It takes two young men to help with, with carrying the load because it's going to take three days, right? They're in the, the, the town of Beersheba, right, in the south, and they're going to walk 50 miles towards the north to Mount Moriah, which is in Jerusalem. And it's going to take three days. I can't really imagine what, what's going through Abraham's mind for those three days, for those 50 miles. Undoubtedly, he's, he's praying to the Lord. What's going through Abraham's mind? Actually, we, we, we don't have a lot of insight here in Genesis 22, but as we get to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this. This is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. It says, Abraham, he considered God able to resurrect Isaac from the dead if indeed Isaac did die. So as he's walking these three days, 50 miles north, He's, he's clinging to what he knows is true about his God. It says he considers that, that God is able. 
That even if, if Isaac does die, God, my God is able to then resurrect him from the dead and I will have my son again. My God is able. There's a lot of times when we, we're talking to someone who perhaps is exhibiting a heart of fear. Right? A heart of fear asks the question, well, maybe my God is not able. Maybe my God is not able to do this. Maybe I have to figure out a way myself. Maybe I've got to figure out a, a, to manage this. this is, maybe this is too big for my God. He needs my help. No, Abraham, he's exhibiting a heart of trust, a heart of faith. And he says, in spite of my lack of an explanation of all the details of how this is all going to work out, I'm going to consider greater than my God and he is and his ability, his capabilities. My God is able and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Continues on in verse 5. It says, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, sorry, so they went both of them together. So they get to the point of exactly where God wants him Right, to, to go up. And it's Mount Moriah, but it's, 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 it's not really this giant mountain. It's more like a, like a hill. And it gets to somewhere around the base of this hill, and he tells his, his, the two young men, I need you to stay here. I'm going to take, it's just going to be me and my son. And me and my son, we're, we're going to have a time of worship of our God. And so he, he takes all of the wood, and he puts it upon his son, Isaac. Now, we don't know exactly how old Isaac is, is here, but we do have a little bit of evidence here that he, he is big enough, strong enough, that he's able to carry all of the wood up a hill. So if you've ever had a picture of, 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 uh, of this scene, of this passage, as, as Isaac as a small child, he's probably not. He's probably much older than this. He can reason, he can think, and he's even physically strong enough that he can carry all this wood. And you know, Abraham, he's an old man at this point. So he doesn't carry any of the wood. All he has is the torch, the fire, and all he has is the knife. And he loads up everything else upon his son Isaac. And then they start to, to walk up this hillside known as Mount Moriah. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Isaac, again, old enough to reason, he notices that the most important thing of a sacrifice is missing. So he says, says Dad, uh, we're, we're missing the most important part of this sacrifice. How are we going to have an, a proper worship service to, to, our, to our God if we don't have the most important thing? We've, we've, got the, we've got the knife, we've got the fire, I've got the wood, but we're, we're missing the most important thing. Where's the lamb? Of all these verses, right, this next verse, verse 8, was one of, them, one of them as I was studying these past couple weeks that stood out to me as a dad of four sons. Because Abraham in this moment, even though he lacks a very clear explanation of all these details of how this is actually going to play out, what is the end game of this? He uses this moment as an opportunity to teach his son about who his God 
truly is. And he says, Isaac, my son, I want to teach you something about our God. Our God is faithful. And our God is able. And our God, he will provide. It's not for us to know all of the details, but we can know who our God is. Our God is able, son. Our God is able to provide. Now, I have to be honest. If one of my sons asked me a question, that someone, something similar to this, that I don't have a lot of the answers, I might kind of brush them off a little bit. I might say something like, oh, no, we'll figure it out when we get there. Or, you know what, son, I, I have to be completely honest. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where, where this is going to come from. But Abraham doesn't, doesn't, doesn't brush it aside. He takes this as just a beautiful opportunity to teach his son about who his God is. Oh, that's awesome. Parents in the room, look for those opportunities. Not to just wrestle with and be frustrated, frustrated by the lack of the answers, but look for these opportunities to teach your sons and daughters about how able, how capable our God is. So Abraham, he doesn't have an explanation where the sacrifice is going to come from. But he talks about how able, how capable his God is. And he says, I want to cling to him. And, and Isaac, I want you to learn how to cling to our God, ourself, yourself. You know, it was about 13 months ago that my extended family had a big time loss. And it was last June, or two Junes ago, 13 months ago, that uh, we received a phone call that, uh, that my cousin, uh, his daughter, Emerson, 13 years old, healthy child, was going into eighth grade at Tremont Middle School, passed away in her sleep. 36 hours before this, she was playing with my four sons. It's a girl that grew up with my, my kids. They've been running around and, and playing for years together. And we had to sit down our sons and tell them that Emerson passed away. Didn't have the details, didn't have the words of an explanation. Later that afternoon, Sarah, my wife, and I, we went to my cousin's house, and we sat in their living room. And again, a moment of no explanation, no details, don't know why. A few weeks later, the autopsy report comes back, and it's inconclusive. There are no details, no understanding why. Had nothing to do with COVID, no underlying issues, just a lack of an understanding. Last month, some of her best friends have been coming into Ignite Sunday night or high school ministry. And again, no worldly explanation or, or answers. Church, how do you handle situations of, of, of loss that have no explanation when we're grasping for an understanding? I wrote this down this week. That what we lack in a worldly explanation 
We do not lack in our access through Jesus Christ to a holy and a good and a loving God. Let me say that again. That what we lack in those moments of loss or sacrifice in a worldly explanation, we do not lack in our access only through Jesus Christ to a God who is holy, who is good, and is loving. And it's a God that gives us peace, his peace, that actually it truly does transcend understanding that this world has no comprehension of because it is greater than our circumstances. And it's possible only through our Lord and Savior to have true and pure joy even in the middle of trials. And that doesn't make sense here in this world. But it's something that we have complete and full access to through the Son, Jesus Christ. So church, what loss are you walking through yourself right now? What loss are you walking through right now? Or maybe put it another way, what sacrifice are you being asked to make? What sacrifice are you being asked to make and it, always, it doesn't always come with the loss of a life. Sometimes the sacrifice perhaps maybe, maybe comes in a sacrifice of comfort. Or maybe the loss of position or maybe the loss of perceived recognition. Maybe the sacrifice of time, maybe our free time where that, when the Lord is asking us to serve. And it's going to take some of our time. So what sacrifice are you being asked to make today? And we see with Abraham and his lack of words to explain to his son where the sacrifice is going to come from. What is, what is the end game to this? He takes this as an opportunity to cling to what he knows is true about his God. That his God is capable and his God is able. And that's how we get to our second or our final point here today. Second point is this. Worship God as your great provider and sacrifice. Worship God as your great provider and sacrifice. We're in verse 9. The narrative continues, it says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham, he built the altar there and then laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So they get on top of this, this hill, Mount Moriah, and Abraham starts to, to set up and make this, this, uh, this altar. And he puts all the wood exactly how he's, how he's supposed to. And then he gets to this point where he has to turn to his son. Isaac has figured it out at this point. He's put two and two together. And a lot of times we, we like to examine the, the faith of Abraham here. But let's not, let's not dismiss the faith of, of Isaac as well. We have no record of here that he resisted, that he ran away. He's probably at an age where he could overpower easily his dad. But just think about this moment where he has to turn to his son and he has to start to bind him up. And get over to the, the altar and he places him on top of the wood. He finds the knife. He's about to strike his son. 
Let me read the, the, the next verse as fast as possible, right? <laughs> but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So at this moment, as Abraham takes the knife about to strike his son, the angel of the Lord, which most likely is, is the, the son, right, the second person of the Trinity, who we'll know in the New Testament is Jesus. He speaks out. So in other words, God himself says, Abraham, Abraham. He says his name twice. In verse one, he only calls him once, right? It's at this moment, right, that he really wants to get Abraham's attention as soon as possible, right? So he says his name twice, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham has the same response. He says, I'm right here, God. Here I am. And then God tells his plan that his, his intention was, was, was never for Isaac to die. His intention was, was never for this to, to, to play out in, in that way. But Abraham needed the test. He needed an opportunity because he had proved himself to be mostly obedient. But God gave him an opportunity for his faith to grow to the point where now he was completely obedient, completely faithful to what God has called him to and what he's all about. And this is Abraham, I, I, you're no longer just someone who's mostly obedient to my plan. I, I, I see it now. Your faith has, has now grown. You are fully obedient in this moment. Don't harm your son. That was never my intention at all. Then this moment, don't miss verse 13. Don't miss verse 13. It says, Then Abraham, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. The Lord does provide. He sees a ram behind him in the thickets. It's, it's caught. They come and they take the ram. And I just want you to just imagine how awesome this worship service must have been for Abraham and Isaac. Oh, that would have been incredible to watch and experience. That they had that lack of an explanation, but in this moment, oh, look, Isaac, look, Dad. Look how faithful our God is. Look how beautifully he provides. Oh, what an awesome moment to just worship the one true God and that he is capable, he is able, the Lord does provide. And so moved by this, such an awesome time of worship, Abraham says, we need to, we need to name this place. So, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. He calls this very specific place, Yahweh Yireh. Yahweh Yireh. We know that in another language of, as Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And Abraham is so moved at this, at this point. What an awesome, beautiful worship service. But it's just between Abraham and his son Isaac. They're the only ones who got to see it. And so they're going to continue. They're going to share this story out. But God's setting up something huge. 
Because it's in this very place that as we move to the New Testament, we see another one and only son. And this one and only son is also beloved of the Father. We know this one and only son beloved by the Father is the name Jesus Christ. It's on that, this very place that God the Father at this point, he's not going to provide a substitutionary ram because there is no substitution for the God-man Jesus Christ for the sins of the world. And then behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, God will not spare his own son who he loves and with him he is well pleased. But on, in this very place, Centuries from the time of Abraham and Isaac, the whole eyes of the world will see this and the hope of all of eternity, that there is only one payment, one sacrifice for my sin, for your sin, for the sins of all nations, not just a specific people group, but for the sins of the world. And Jesus Christ will die by being hung on a cross, not because of anything that he had done wrong, not because of sin that he had. No, he was sinless completely pure, faultless. And on this very place, he will die. But church, we do not serve and worship a passed away Savior. We worship and we serve, and our hope is found in a resurrected Savior. Because then three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. God does provide God does provide for Abraham, and he provides for myself, and he provides for all of you today and for all of the world. Everyone just say, God has a plan. <laughs> Abraham and Isaac, I don't think, they obviously didn't know exactly what was going on here. They didn't know what this kind of just giant setup, foreshadowing of this worship service was going to be. Because in this very place, God will provide the ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice for your sin and my sin. So church, I'm going to have the band come back up, and we're going to take just an opportunity here. As we sing this last worship song, I want you to consider a few, a few questions just in your time of prayer and just reflecting upon the words that we're about to sing. What does your faith look like in the sacrifices and the losses in your life? What does your faith look like in the sacrifices and the losses in your life? Or perhaps this question, where is God wanting you to grow in him today? Where is God wanting, calling you to grow in him today? Is it a very specific request? Is it with a specific person in your life? Maybe family member, maybe friend, maybe some situation that you do not have all of the, the details of how, how is this all gonna work out? But God is calling you to trust that he is able. We celebrate that we serve a jealous God, that he is not content with just having some of us, most of us, half of us, but he calls us to put all of our faith upon the person of Jesus Christ. For all of our sins, for all of our sacrifices, for all of our losses, we bring it all to him because it's only him who is actually able. 
incapable to take it all.